Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Good morning, great church. Man, what a wonderful day it is to be in the kingdom of God. It's good to see all of you here today. Good to have guests with us today. Uh, what a beautiful day in the kingdom. I'm so grateful once again to have the opportunity to stand before you and bring to you a portion of the Word of God, our lesson from the Word of God. It is the year of our Lord, 2023, as you all know, and we're just a little bit more than halfway through the year at this point, which is mind-blowing to all of us over the age of six. <laughs> they don't know. Christmas is still a year away to them, all right? But uh, anyway, it's going by so fast, and our theme through this year has been for Him. Everything that I'm talking about from this pulpit, at least on Sunday mornings over the course of this year, is about Jesus. It's about the centrality of Jesus to our lives and to our belief, to our thought process, to how we talk, to how we act, everything, that Jesus is the heart of it all. And if we're truly followers of Jesus, that's got to be the way that the things are. And uh, we're beginning a new series today entitled The Word of God. And we're going to talk about Jesus and the Bible and the relationship between Jesus and the Bible. Jesus as the living Word of God and the Bible as the written Word of God. The Bible has shaped the world far more than many people realize. I would say the Bible has shaped the world far more than almost all people realize today. Uh, but those of us who are not ignorant of the Bible, those of us who know the Bible at least fairly well, proficiently well, know that you hear Bible language every single day in conversations with people, at work, at school, at play, at home, wherever. You hear Bible language in the media every day all the time. There's Bible language on television programs, you know, dramas, comedies, everything you can think of. There, there are Bible, there's Bible language and Bible words in the songs that we hear on the radio every day, and that hasn't changed. What has changed in the lives of some people in American and Western civilization is that they no longer know where those things come from. They no longer realize that the concepts they're talking about and taking for granted in many cases, even their beliefs about what's right and wrong, that they have these strong beliefs about what's right and wrong, but that they as a culture have forgotten that these things came from the Bible. And as a result, they're sort of like a, a raft floating in the ocean. They've got a little bit of ground underneath them, but they really don't know where, they're, where they've come from and they don't know where they're going and they don't know how to get there. And brothers and sisters, it is our job as the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be in those conversations around the water cooler at work or uh, desk to desk at school, wherever it is that you're able to interact with people. It's our job to, to seize upon those opportunities, those teachable moments when people talk about truth, when people talk about what's right and wrong, about morality, when people talk about love, when they talk about these great things that we know have to do with, with good against evil, it's our job to use those moments to show people that all of these things that they value in life, 
everything that everyone values most in life is in fact a gift from Jesus Christ to his own glory for our blessing and has been communicated to us through the 66 books of the Bible. When we think about the subject of justice and the way that justice is thought of in America today and in Western civilization, it's not always thought of rightly, and I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that the extreme emphasis upon justice in our culture today has biblical roots. It's the Bible that taught Western civilization the truth about justice. When people talk about equality today, sometimes people talk about equality in a way to actually indict the Bible as if the Bible is working against equality. But they fail to realize that all of the ideals of equality that people take for granted in 2023 came from the Bible and did not exist in culture before Jesus, before the apostles, and before the Word of God was disseminated throughout the earth. And that's a fact. When we talk about the preeminence of love, People in our culture today, folks that may have never darkened the door of a church building, if you ask them about love being the greatest virtue, they're not going to argue with that. People in our culture today know that love is the greatest virtue, that it's the most important thing and the best thing. But there are so many people that don't realize that it's Jesus, Jesus that taught the world that. The Bible has shared that message everywhere it has gone. You go back before the Bible, even in ancient Israel, even when ancient Israel was in its right, most righteous states, you would not find such an uh, overwhelming understanding of the importance of love as we do now because of the influence of the Bible in our world. Of course, the importance of objective truth, that we should be truth seekers, that we should think logically and rationally and that we should have critical thinking skills that we apply to the conversations we hear in life, whether personal or whether from media. This comes from the Bible. The Bible teaches us that there is objective truth, that reality is knowable and the God of reality is knowable and understandable. We will certainly talk about more of these things as we proceed forward through this series, Lord willing. But brothers and sisters, I just want to say that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. It still is. I hope it always will be. Even if something ever, you know, tops that list above it, it won't change what the Bible is. But I expect it'll continue to be the best-selling book of all time. You, you may know that it was the first book ever printed when the printing press was printed. And in fact, I believe providentially the printing press was invented for the sake of printing the Bible and spreading it throughout the world. And hey, also this, the Bible has a perfect winning record in every generation since its completion. It has, has, it has had enemies beginning with the unbelieving Jews of the mid-first century when the Bible was being written. It had enemies among the best thinkers, the, the, the mightiest philosophers of the ancient Greco-Roman world. And in every generation after it, through the Dark Ages and Middle Ages and through the Renaissance and the Age of Enlightenment, all through modernity and right down to our postmodern times today, the Bible has continued to have enemies in every generation who wanted to see it burned and destroyed and buried and gone. And they're burned and buried and gone and the Bible is still here. Brothers and sisters, if the Lord delays His return for even one more generation, the same thing will be true. When you hear the last trumpet, the Bible will have had a winning record against all of its enemies always. And if anybody died thinking they'd beat the Bible, they'll wake up on Judgment Day and realize the error of their mistake. 
Brothers and sisters, the Bible continues to last, to outlast. It has lasted because it works. Let me say just a moment something about that. The Bible works. And I simply put that before you today. And I ask you to put that to the test. If you're skeptical about the Bible today, and I, I don't know where everybody is in this auditorium. I know most people in here are very devout believers, and I'm comfortable in your presence. But I don't know where we are, are and even devout believers sometimes struggle with things. I know that I do. But brothers and sisters, when I tell you the Bible works, I'm saying that if you will read the Bible, if you will read the Bible in its entirety and spend some time, prayerfully do so, maybe find a teacher if you need some help in figuring out how to put it all together, and I'd love to help you with that. And there are several other he others here that would love to help you with that. If you'll spend some time trying to learn the basic teachings of the Bible, especially of the Christian faith, and you will decide, I'm going to put these to test, I'm going to put these to practice in my life. What I'm telling you right now is that I know for a fact that they will work. They will work. They will enable you to overcome obstacles. They will enable you to have a solid understanding of what's right and wrong, of what you should do and should not do in most, if not all, situations. If you will live according to the Bible's teachings, you will be able to succeed in your career. You'll be able to succeed in your career because the mindset that you employ as a follower of Jesus cannot help but succeed. Honesty, work ethic, servant spirit, teacher's heart. If you put these things into practice, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. If you swing a hammer with those thought processes in mind, you're going to succeed. And I could go on and on about that and certainly will more later in this series. But I want you to recognize the Bible has lasted because it works. And it works because it's truth. And it's truth because God is its author. It cannot but be true. When we talk about the Bible, we're talking about the written Word of God. And uh, what we're going to talk about in this series, introducing today, we'll develop and delve more into these things in the coming weeks, Lord willing. But that the Bible is the written Word and Jesus is the living Word. And there is a, a, a relationship between the written Word and the living Word that is beyond what we're capable really of fully understanding. But the Bible tells us a lot about it. It's very important. And it's one of the reasons why the Bible is preeminent over all of the other so-called religious revelations that any culture has received. Uh, for instance, uh, the, the Muslim world, the Muslim world uh, reveres the, the Quran. They call it the Holy Quran, which is their version of a Bible, their scriptures that supposedly was given by revelation through an angel uh, to Muhammad. And of course, there are the Hadith that go alongside the Bible and the Muslim religion. But if you talk to Muslims about the nature of Scripture, they regard the Quran itself as their mediator between themselves and God. It is a book that mediates between them and God. They will go so far as to say that there is a glorious, perfect copy of the Quran in heaven. And every true Quran almost has descended from heaven as this intercessor between God and man. Well, we certainly have a Bible. And to one degree or another, the Bible certainly does form something of an intercessory or an interceding agent between God and man. What I mean by that is a go-between. You'll never come to faith without the Scriptures. You'll never know of Jesus without the Scriptures. You'll never know right from wrong objectively without the Scriptures. And so there is this go-between that the Scriptures uh, form between us and God. But 
What we'll understand and explore more in this series is that the Bible is a means to an end. It is not an end in and of itself. The Bible is in fact not the mediator between God and men. It is simply a blessing to enable us to find the mediator. The mediator is not dead words of ink written on pulped wood. The mediator gave up his life on the cross. He took the nails in his hands and feet, the spear in his side, the crown of thorns on his head, and he died and he rose from the dead. And he ascended from heaven, and he is alive today. God being a man, the glorified, true, only begotten Son of God. He is our mediator. He is the revelation of God to man. He is the explanation of reality. He is the embodiment of truth. The Bible is our connection to him. And because our mediator is alive not a dead book, but because our mediator is alive, brothers and sisters, I can tell you today, based on that fact alone, that Christianity is superior to Islam. And there are so many other things I could say, but that is sufficient. Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the revelation of Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the revelation of the Father. I'll explore that more, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. There's an old saying that we don't hear much anymore. Those of you that have been members here at the great church for very long have heard me say it several times, and that is the phrase, Christ our creed. Now, this is something that it does not originate with our movement, with the American Restoration Movement. It, it precedes us, but it's a statement that was very much adopted by our forefathers in the Restoration Movement, the desire to restore biblical Christianity in all its wholeness and fullness. Because of the well, of the great division that exists in Christendom today. It's really sad that there is so much division in Christianity, and there has been for a very long time. We ought to be trying to heal that. There's lots of ways that we can work towards that. We've talked about that in other series, and Lord willing, we'll talk about it again. But, but one thing that's very important is for us to be able to focus on clearly what it is that we actually believe. And, and our brotherhood has a really shaky sort of uh, controversial history with, with the concept of a creed. In fact, I believe that you might hear many members of Churches of Christ today that would say, oh, we don't have a creed. And, and they would mean well in saying that. And what they mean by that, or at least what the people that they didn't understand who taught them meant by that, <laughs> hopefully that made sense, is that we don't have a creed book written by uninspired men to tell us how to interpret the Bible. And that's true, we don't. Not a written one, at least. We could talk more about unwritten ones later. But brothers and sisters, anybody who believes anything has a creed. We most certainly have a creed. Christ is our creed. What do I believe as a Christian? Jesus. That's my belief. Whatever Jesus is, that's what I believe in. Whatever Jesus says, that's what I believe. That's my truth. Our culture today, you know, is very, very high on living out your truth. Well, I want to tell you what my truth is. Jesus is my truth. It's the only truth I've got. I'm going to live out Jesus. Whatever Jesus thinks, I believe. Whatever Jesus says, I'm going to accept. I'm going to try to say it myself. Whatever Jesus does, that's what he would have me to do. And so, brothers and sisters, what we believe is not even a book. Are you listening? What we believe in is not even limited to a book. 
We believe in the one that book testifies of. We believe in Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is our doctrine. Jesus is our way of life. Jesus is our worldview and mindset. Christ, our creed. That's my creed. That's what I believe. The Bible is our only creed book because it is the only book that flawlessly testifies of Christ. So today, as we are beginning this series, I just want to talk about three major claims that the Bible makes about itself. Because if we're going to explore the relationship between Christ and between the Bible, between the living word and the written word, we need to make sure from the start that we're on the same page about what the Bible says about itself. First of all, the Bible says about itself that it literally is God's Word. Literally, the Bible is God's Word. It doesn't just become God's Word if you receive it. It doesn't contain God's Word in there mixed with the words of men. God certainly used human beings to author the various books of the Bible, but the Bible teaches us that He so oversaw that process through the gift of prophecy to those writers that the end result of their writings, even though they use their own relationships, they use their own experiences, they use their own vocabularies, nevertheless, God oversaw that process so that the end result of inspiration was that the Bible is exactly what He wants to say. The Bible is God's Word, not man's Word. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, which means identifying error. In other words, when the Bible says you're wrong, you're wrong. For correction, meaning the Bible, when it has exposed you for the sinner that you are, and that's what it does to every one of us, Romans 3, verse 23, the Bible will reveal to you the pathway of getting back right with God and back on the right direction of going where God would have you to go. And if there is anything lacking in that, Paul adds, by inspiration for training in righteousness. If you want to be righteous, the Bible is your manual, and you will find that training in no other place. Brothers and sisters, I could list a dozen more scriptures off the top of my head to affirm this, but I trust uh, we'll talk about that later in the series. But first of all, this major claim of the Bible makes about itself, it is literally God's Word. When we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about a miracle. We're talking about a book that was authored through supernatural processes and it is literally the word of Almighty God to mankind. That's what the Bible says about itself and that's what we believe. Number two, and that means it is perfectly true. Perfectly true. And when I say that the Bible is perfectly true, what I mean is, is it's true in every way that something can be true. In fact, it is the prerequisite to even understanding what is true. The world is, understands that reality is reality. I think most people, no matter how deeply they've gotten into postmodern mindset, people still understand that there's a ground beneath their feet and a rock is a rock and a tree is a tree. All right? we, we have to have that level of appreciation of reality in order to survive every day you know, and not step out in front of uh, speeding buses and stuff like that. All right? So there's a certain degree of apprehension of reality, of comprehension of reality that people have to be living in in order to survive. All right? That's all there is to it. All right? but, so we all know that there is such a thing as reality. But unfortunately, when we get into spiritual things in the religious world, there are a lot of people that think that religious truth is functioning in a different way. 
than say scientific truth is or the truth about, uh, about physics or something. You know, hey, you can build a bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge is a reality. I've never seen it with my own eyes, but I've seen pictures of it. I have faith that it's actually there based upon the credible testimony of those pictures. All right, But some of you have seen it with your own eyeballs. It's a marvel of engineering, but really it's not all that impressive. It's just the application of truth. Of physical principles, the, the pr principles of physics, which God put in place when he created the world. And by employing the scientific knowledge, the mathematical knowledge of physics, people are able to bring about results that are, in fact, real. But real. But what we need to understand is that spiritual truth communicated in the Bible is the same kind of truth. It's the same kind of truth. You see, there are all kinds of people in our culture that will say, Oh, I'm happy for you to believe that the Bible is true. They might say, I believe that the writings of the Baha'u'llah are true. You believe the Bible is true? I believe the Baha'i faith teaches the truth. And hey, that's cool. We're both trying to find our way to God. And God is so big, we believe there are many pathways that one can take to God. All right? And that's a very common thought process in our world today. And I'm not trying to be mean to it. I understand why people would think that way. But what they don't realize are the implications of that mentality. Because if that's the way that you think about religious truth, what you are implying in that conversation is that neither of those books are actually true. Are you following? What you're implying is that there's no real truth, as we talk about things scientifically, in either one of them. Because if either one of them is actually communicating truth the same way that a scientist is supposed to be communicating truth, not to say that they always do, but if either one of them is, is truly teaching empirical truth, then all other supposed religious revelations absolutely must be false. And so what we're talking about when we talk about the Bible being perfectly true is that it is, we're talking about reality. We're talking about what truth actually means. We're not talking about something that's just true to me because it gels with me or because I relate to it. It's not, we're not talking about truth as opinion or opinion as truth. We're talking about reality. The Bible is true as much as the law of gravity is true. The Bible is true as much as the laws of thermodynamics are true. The Bible is true as much as any kind of truth is true. The Bible is reality. It teaches truth that, that corresponds with God's reality. And that's why anything that disagrees with the Bible is in fact objectively false. Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true, everyone, and therefore he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. If you take refuge in him, you cannot possibly ultimately fail because God has promised otherwise. Every word of God proves true. John 10, 35, Jesus says scripture cannot be broken. What does that mean? Well, it means any way we might try to break, Scripture will not work. It, it does not mean that people cannot personally break the commandments of Scripture. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, all of us in this room have done that. Repeatedly we've done that. And we still stand likely to break some commandment or other of Scripture today or in the future because we're not yet what we ought to be. Jesus is making us into that through the ministry of the Word, as the Holy Spirit works through us to transform us more perfectly into the likeness of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
All right? So it doesn't mean that individuals or families or communities or even whole societies can't break the commandments of Scripture. But what it does mean is that those, those commandments will have the last word. It means that they stand even if you break them. They continue to be right. They continue to be binding. If the Bible says something is true, brothers and sisters, it is true. If the Bible says something is right, it's right. If the Bible says something is wrong, it's wrong. If the Bible says something did happen, it did happen. If the Bible says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. That's what we mean when we say that the Bible is perfectly true. Man, it is perfectly true. Hebrews 6 verse 18, listen, it is impossible for God to lie. How could it be possible for God to lie? God is all-powerful. If he says something is true, by, all, by his almighty power, it is immediately true. He said, we've got to humble ourselves and recognize who it is that we're dealing with, brothers and sisters. We're, we're dealing with God. And I'm afraid that many people today, certainly in our world, and I hope not in the church, but have forgotten the meaning of that little three-letter word, G-O-D. God is the Almighty. God is the all-knowing. God is the all-present, the all-good and all-loving. Everything he says is right and everything he says is true. And it cannot be otherwise. And if that is the case, then that means every word in Scripture is absolutely trustworthy and reliable to the degree of even what it implies. That's the nature of the truth of the Word of God. Number three, it is the means to the end. Again, the Bible is not the mediator between God and man. It is a gift to enable us to come to the feet of the mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the Bible is the means to the end that everyone should hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If we have a culture that is very far from God, I can tell you one thing that's not happening in that culture, and that's people hearing the word of God. It's not happening. If people are hearing the word of God regularly, consistently, ably taught and defended and preached, that's a society that is going to be called to conviction for its sins. It's a society that is going to be wrestling with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is going to be wrestling with that society. And you're going to see lives being changed. You're going to see people building themselves and their families and their communities up. You're going to see a nation that is growing and prospering where people are blessed and happy as long as they continue to live their lives consistently with, with its teachings. And so, brothers and sisters, I think we know what's going on in our culture around us. People are ignorant of the Word of God. And that is the whole, that's the whole problem. John 20, verse 30 and 31. I love the way that John words this. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Bottom line, that is what the Bible is about. From Genesis to Revelation, it is His story. It's about Jesus, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, who came and endured torment to deliver us from our self-imposed torment. And brothers and sisters, there are great things to come 
for those who will trust in Jesus and keep faith with him. 1 John 5 and, and, and verse 13, the apostle John says, These things have we written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I am so beyond thankful. To say that I'm thankful for the Bible utterly falls short of reality. I am so thankful to God for the Bible because it is it that has led me to understand the will of God so that I could, through his power, his enabling, his blessing, bring myself under the lordship of Christ. And as a disciple of Jesus, I know for a fact right now, and I know for a fact in every moment of my life, that I'm saved, that I have eternal life. Whatever happens to me and my family, Brothers and sisters, please listen. I want this for every person alive in the world. Whatever happens to me and my family, I know things are going to work out well in the end. I know it because I know the truth of the Word of God. I know His promises to those who believe. And even if I'm not as faithful as I ought to be, He is perfectly faithful. He never lies. He never deceives he loves, he guides, he saves, he's our God through Jesus Christ. And he's given us the Bible as one of the greatest blessings available to us in life. I want to read now from Paul's words in 2 uh, Timothy, rather, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word preach the word be ready in season when they like it be ready out of season when they don't like it reprove that means to uh, identify error rebuke call people's consciences to account for the things that they're doing and the way that they're living exhort that is strongly urge them to obey the commandments of god and do this brothers and sisters with complete patience, and teaching. In other words, just because someone doesn't understand the Bible the way that you understand it now doesn't mean you disfellowship them and split the church as long as there continues to be a loving willingness to talk and to think and to pray and to study. Be patient with people. It's a growing process for all of us. We've all got growing to do. There are things we're all wrong about. But brothers and sisters, as long as we keep the Bible right there in the middle of our relationships, and as long as we together can say, I know that I'm wrong about something, but I know this is right, then we have the basis for complete unity in the church of our Lord. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, that is healthy teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Oh, how sad it is that we live in an age that is fulfillment of this passage. Verse 5, but as for you, and Paul is writing this to a young preacher of the gospel, but the message applies to every single person who is in the body of Jesus Christ. As for us, what are we to do? We're to always be sober-minded. That means take life seriously. It doesn't mean you can't have a sense of humor, but it means you recognize what really is important in all circumstances. You endure suffering when necessary, do the work of an evangelist. In other words, try to share the gospel with somebody. And if you'll consistently do that, man, you will fulfill your ministry, the one that God from all eternity has called you to. 
Later in this series, we're going to talk about Hebrews 4 and verse 12. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And what that says, it says about the written word of God. But it says it about the written word of God because the written word of God is simply the expression of the mind of the living word of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is not a dead book, but a living man. God being a man, alive in heaven, seated on his throne at the right hand of Almighty God, the Father himself. And so the word of God is God's self-expression. It is his reason. It's his explanation, his command. It's his whole truth. Jesus is that. And through him the Bible testifies of that. And so we understand that God's truth is so much more than leather, paper, and ink. But thank God for the leather, paper, and ink. For without them, we'd never know it. Appreciate your attention this morning. The lesson is yours. And I want you to know in this auditorium today that if you are a baptized believer that is struggling in some way, whatever way that you are, and you feel that the prayers of this church could help you in moving forward in your faith, the front pews are open. We would very happily offer those prayers to heaven on your behalf today. And today, if you know that you're a sinner, if you understand right from wrong, you've reached a, a level of maturity where you know what's right and you know you haven't done it, you need a Savior, you need Jesus. You need to confess your faith in Him today. And if you'll turn from following your own way and give your, yourself to Christ's way, which is what the Bible calls repentance, and make the decision to obey His commandment to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, they will be washed away today, and you'll be added to the Lord's church. You'll become a part of the family of God like we are, headed to glory, because God's promised it, and He never lies. Do you need to come? Come, as together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.